1: Tomorrow, 7 o'clock the airtime, Alabama basketball. I'm uh, taking on Virginia Tech in the NCAA
2: tournament from Pittsburgh. I'm going to be doing a lot of stress eating. Tomorrow <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> I'm just going to be able normal eating, but yeah.
3: <laughs> right on top of Caleb Rowe. Now, the stage has a bit shifted over to
2: the right this year. Change range. The 2 1 is a fly ball to deep center field. Way back. Way on a shot by Bailey Hemphill over the 220 sign and right at the straightaway center field camera from Eman ESPN, we're tied up at two here in the bottom of the first. And that is about where the stage was last year. So if it hadn't moved... Right, that hits the
4: top. Didn't think we'd get a Scooby-Doo reference in today, but hey, why not?
1: That's just, that was my show, right? That was, it was a show. I know. I was uh, Scrappy Doo for Halloween one year. Oh, I need to hear about that.
4: <laughs>
2: but kids that right, kids today—they don't understand what Halloween costumes were back in the day. You had to if, you, if you didn't sweat buckets and have problems breathing, you weren't wearing a good costume.
4: <laughs> Here's the 1-0 to
3: Alyssa. She lays it down beautifully.
1: Oh my goodness! And the throw is high. The throw is high. Brown falls down. The ball is way out around the corner. Claire Jenkins comes around the score. Alyssa Brown rounding third, heading home. It's an inside the park
4: home run on a bun. I did that once, literally. <laughs>
2: one-two pitch. Swing and a miss, strike three, and that will do it. Alabama advances to their 14th Super Regional Round. They continue to be the
4: only team in the nation that has advanced to every Super Regional Round there has ever been. Welcome
3: in, everybody. We're glad you are with us. It is episode four of the Out of the Box podcast, In the Thick of Things. Here is conference play really gets going in college softball around the country. I am gray Robertson alongside my partner. As always, Tom Canterbury, we are back from Texas and unfortunately we are back with a loss. The streak is over.
2: Just one L in the pocket. Still two W's. It's good to win a series on the road in the conference. Always, always big time, but you do fall a couple of games short of the NCAA record for the best start ever in uh, college softball history. But uh, I don't really don't think it was that big of a deal to the, uh, to the team. No, uh, I don't, you know, I don't remember anyone ever mentioning it. So, you know, hopefully that'll be, be the case. And you just kind of move forward and still a tremendous weekend, got a couple wins and now we'll move, move on.
3: Yeah. The Texas A&M series this past weekend, Alabama won games one and two, both in run rule fashion. And if the run rule did not exist, we might've seen Alabama get 15 plus
2: in both games.
3: Right. It was very impressive.
2: Yeah, you had the run rule come up in the sixth inning in game number one, 13 to three. And then game number two, Alabama had it since uh, really from the from the get go in both those games. But one game number two and in five innings, 11 to one. And uh, just really good to see game number one. You just saw the offense up and down the lineup. Uh, everybody contributing game number two. Didn't see that as much, but you got the big, big time hits at the big time. Uh, parts of the game so you got to win both ways you had good pitching performance you got a good pitching performance in game number three too just uh just not quite up to what we were expecting and uh did not did not get the w in game three
3: yeah so the weekend stats for the crimson tide kaylee tau 571 batting average four for seven with a home run and four runs driven in and then of course you have to highlight what bailey Hempill did two for seven with
2: two home runs and seven runs driven in including a <laughs> grand slam yeah that, that'll that'll get it done Yes, it was uh, for the most part. Yeah, but the only thing about that you would like to see Bailey be able to contribute a little bit more than just home runs, uh, and I, and I feel weird saying that, uh, but the home runs have come at good times. But you would like to be able to see her maybe drive in some runs other ways. Get get just a regular old double every you now and nice single up yeah. the middle every now and then. <laughs> you know, get get a couple walks in there. She she didn't get walked very often. She got I think one was it just one this weekend. It was. She was walked 5 times. She was. Yes. Where where Really? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, see there you go. Um so they were pitching around her some and uh, Claire Jenkins kind of made them pay for it.
3: Yeah, Claire Jenkins was 2 for 10, but those 2 just like Bailey, two home runs mm-hmm. and two runs driven in. So, very impressive work by the Alabama offense, a 2 and 1 weekend in college station we're going to talk more about what the loss means going forward here on this episode we've got a full house i mean this is a packed edition of out of the box right now we're at the plate we're going to talk about what the loss means and how the mindset might change and what we're expecting this week against georgia tech and mississippi state we're going to advance to first catch up on the sec action including missouri sweeping
2: kentucky just as we predicted.
3: Yes. We <laughs> I, I'm oh, wait, sorry. No, I don't think I don't think No, I happened. had Kentucky sweeping Missouri. All <laughs> oh, right. Oh, yeah.
2: Excuse me. <laughs>
3: yeah. Our picks weren't great. <laughs> that, that along with some other things, we're going to break down what's going on in the SEC plus an RPI update. We're going to steal second in the crossover event. That all of you have been waiting for. It is the out of the box. Everyone has been clamoring. Yes. I've gotten tweets. Okay. It is the out of the box in the circle crossover. We've got one of the in the circle guys, Eric Lopez joining us and we're just going to ramble and shoot the breeze and riff and have a nice softball chat. And it'll be a great little fun event. And we're going to go on their show pretty soon. So,
2: all right, should be fun. Sounds good.
3: And then we're going to round third with JDH, Jenny Dalton Hill from ESPN, the SEC Network, NCAA record holder for career RBIs, which Bailey Hemphill threatened to break <laughs> in Hawaii alone. Yeah. But we're going to steal second with Jenny Dalton Hill, and then we will head home, make predictions for this weekend, and introduce a new segment, Ooh. Tom's Hungry.
2: Yes. Which I am kind of right now. Right now? That's okay.
3: There's uh, some animal crackers in the break room. (laughs) There is, yes. But Alabama, 33-1. and You mentioned that the team has not thought a lot about the streak. The streak's over. There's a loss now. I also did not get the feeling that the team really cared that the streak was over. I think they were just more upset that the loss happened in general. Right. Because I keep all my boards. And as we're in the security line getting on our flight from Houston— Skylar Wallace looks at me and goes, why do you have that? I say, well, I keep them all. She goes, no, get rid of it. Get rid of it. As if to say, well, I, I don't want to think about it. I'm ready to move on. I'm ready mm-hmm. for the next game. And I think that's kind of a team mindset. I'm not expecting any kind of hangover at all this week against Georgia Tech and Mississippi State.
2: And I'm, I'm glad to hear that it was Skylar Wallace that said that to you as well. And you know, she had a, a rough game Sunday. It was an error that she had in the sixth inning that allowed the tying run to score. So, you know, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad that the loss itself bothers them. I'm glad that they are, are wanting to uh, to make amends for it in, in the next game. But, I, but at the same time, again, I'm glad that they're not dwelling on we had this could have been historic streak, and it was still an historic streak. Oh, yeah. Longest in Alabama history, longest in SEC history. And you know what? Nobody even knew it. I don't think right. anyone in the program knew it was the
3: SEC record right. until the SEC tweeted that out.
2: Right. Because all the other records, it's, you know, UCLA and who is the other one? It's Oregon. Oregon. Yeah. UCLA. And you know, and Arizona Oregon.
3: was up there as well. Right.
2: Probably. So, you know, it was one of those that, you know, it's, and they were they were from further back. So, uh, yeah. So, is a great start to the season? It's still a great start to the season. You'll take 33 and 1 all the time. Uh, just so you had 33 to start off with. So, the, the thing is, you can't let it snowball into a streak going the other way, which I don't foresee happening.
3: No, I don't either. Now, we do have to address a trend that has become kind of obvious and that is game three I don't want to call it struggles but I would say game three opponents being able to get to Montana Fouts a little bit more we saw Missouri Chaser in game three of that conference series Mm -hmm. Texas A&M basically did the same thing uh, even though it was a very late pull in that game she's not striking as many people out in game three and you think that maybe it's just because she's a freshman and we're getting to that point where she's pitching more innings than ever before against the best competition she's ever faced and she might be a bit tired
2: yeah I think it was just the case of where she's kind of probably hitting up against the mental and physical wall because uh, you're at the point where like you said that if she was pitching in high school the season would be over and now she's not only pitching the, the amount that she's pitched she's pitching against such high caliber competition, making that jump up from the high school ranks to the college ranks. Uh, and then I think there might've been a little bit of the, uh, the travel fatigue finally catching up to everybody as well. I agree with uh, that. You know, you had the, uh, we didn't see it any, any on Friday and Saturday, but it might've been on Sunday when everything finally kind of caught up going, going to non-original America out to Hawaii. <laughs> uh, and, you know, having that the week before and then turning right back around, having to go back on the road again. Um, I, I I thought Alabama played admirably, Uh, despite that, but I think Sunday it might've caught up with them.
3: Yeah, I think so too, because I was sitting on the bus and I kept yawning and I thought, why am I so tired? Oh, right. Yes. Look at what we've done in the last three (laughs) weeks.
2: (laughs) Well, you know what happened to me on Friday, we were going to get up and go to the George H. W. Bush presidential library on Friday morning because we had all day after we got there on Thursday, but we had blackout curtains in our hotel room and I didn't wake up until 1130 in the And so I slept almost 12 hours <laughs> and, and I didn't even know it. You're like a 15 year old again. It was, it, I, that's probably about the last time I've done that, <laughs> but uh, that's all I could attribute it to was finally having not, not, having to get up for, for work or anything else. And just all, you know, the jet lag and everything just kind of catching up with you. And I don't think the girls had that opportunity to sleep until, until noon on that day. So it, I think, I, I really think the fatigue probably caught up with them, but now, you know, you've gotten past it and, uh, We'll move forward to this week.
3: Yeah, and this week, you've got Georgia Tech on Wednesday, Mississippi State, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We'll break that down in just a minute. I did want to highlight Kaylee Tao. 15 straight games she has reached base via the hit or the walk. And are we at now 10 games in a row where she has reached via the walk?
2: Yeah. That's wild. You can really look at to where the change was made putting Kaylee Tao at the top of the order that you've really seen the, the offense kind of take that, turn that corner and be where they can put up a lot of runs. And it's because of what Kaylee Tao does at the top of the order. And as Coach Murphy mentioned in, I think, in the pregame interview on Sunday, she's only leading off the inning. She's only guaranteed to do that once. right? So the rest of the game, she still can be that RBI producer, especially if Alyssa Brown continues to get on base as she's you know gotten that... On base percentage around 400. And if she can, uh, we're hoping to see it get to 420, 450, which would be if if that's happening.
3: If that's happening, Alabama has four losses this year yeah. overall.
2: Yeah. So you, you see, we've seen so many innings where you have 891 due up or 912, that type of thing. And those are, you know, tailor made for Kaylee Tao. And, you know, again, driving in the most
3: runs other than Bailey Hempill on the weekend, continuing to get on base via the walk, which is great because how many times did we see a lead off walk? this weekend in Texas A&M and the one time we didn't solo home run to deep right. center
2: and that's I think that was kind of one of the differences in game number three to game number one and two the home runs came with nobody on base right and you know they came early on and then for the first time we saw Alabama go down in order a couple times in the game and uh that that's where that's where the big difference was and I think you got to give you got to credit pots for uh You know, in the circle for Texas A&M, she pitched outstanding. Absolutely. And
3: I don't like to linger on stuff I say, but (laughs) this does prove how important the response stat is. Mm -hmm. 24 of 35 on the year going into Texas A&M game three. 0 for 2 in that game. Why were those 0 for 2 very important? Because A&M did not respond either when Alabama scored, but... The reason that 0-2 for was so critical was because when A&M scored, they started to, for the first time all weekend, get momentum in the building. Yeah. And Alabama did not respond and take it back.
2: Yeah, that's one of the big things of that response that does is, okay, we finally scored them, here we come, and then Alabama takes it right back from them. And they didn't do that on, on Sunday.
3: Yeah, so we'll keep track of that. We're also keeping track of our dear friend Bailey Hempill, mm-hmm. who I just saw walking around, actually, down by Tutwiler. I guess she had a math class, I'm not sure. But she was walking, and I looked at her and I thought, hmm, is that the possible SEC Player of the Year walking around in Tuscaloosa?
2: She's definitely in the conversation, that's for sure. She has to be. You know, Leading the nation in RBIs, or she was going into Sunday. I'm not sure if you know, I haven't looked at the rankings it, here. If she's not winning, she's, she's one or right two top. or three. Yeah. Right. So you got that. Uh, the home runs are you know, up to 15. Now we, we looked the all-time Alabama record for RBIs in a season. Marissa Runyon did it in 2015 with 80 and, and Bailey's at 51 right now. And there's still a large portion of the season remaining. If, if she continues to hit as she is right now. And I mean, you can just feel those home runs coming. Yeah. When, when those happen, you know, there's, I can't think of a lot, many other players in the conference that I'd rather have up at the plate for me.
3: Yeah, 343 on the year, on-base percentage 455, walks just 20, which is actually down from her usual pace.
2: Some of that is because there are people actually protecting her in the line. Correct. Lineup. Mm-hmm.
3: And uh, the 51 RBIs, 15 homers, 5 doubles, very impressive for Bailey Hempel. So let's talk about Mississippi State. That series this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, mm-hmm. Bulldogs just got 1-3 of three against Auburn after getting swept by Kentucky they don't have a lot of options in the circle in terms of pitchers who have seen a lot of sec time Mm -hmm. and we know how good Mia Davidson is. We know how good Fale Lua is, but the rest of the offense, you have to shut them down. And if you do that, you'll probably win.
2: Right. And I think the fact that you're coming back home as well, is going to have a big factor into it. I've noticed there's, I've had a lot of people ask me about tickets about how, how to get those tickets to come to the come to the Rhodes house. Really? And yeah, so it, there has been a, a renewed interest, which there never should have been a lack of interest. Yeah, but I know. <laughs> but there, there seems to be a renewed interest to want to come out, so I think it's going to be a huge weekend with attendance here in Tuscaloosa. All the all the students are in town. The weather, I think, is going to be nice. So I expect it to be a great crowd and a great atmosphere, and I I think Alabama's going to play well.
3: Yeah, the pitcher from Mississippi State who – uh, is a transfer from Arizona State, Alyssa Loza. We're probably going to see her start one of the days. They've gone with different starting pitchers every game. At least they did in Auburn. And we'll see what Van Suderman decides there. And then Georgia Tech on Wednesday, I actually kind of feel bad for the Yellow Jackets <laughs> because they are playing Alabama at literally the worst. I mean, either way, it was either going to be to tie the streak or after a loss. Mm-hmm. Either way, this was the worst possible time to play Alabama. And, uh, yeah, it might get ugly. And Uh, that's just an unbiased standpoint. I think Alabama's going
2: to play angry. I certainly hope so. And from from all all indications on the bus ride back to Houston and the plane ride home and everything, I, I think that'll be the case. Yeah. So
3: Alabama with four games this weekend. Before we go to break and advance to first, let's talk about some news that we heard. I did some research. Apparently this has been out in the internet sphere for a couple months. But apparently... After, I, I guess our podcast might have swayed them if you yeah. know if it did not come out months ago. I'm was, sure.
2: Um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure we have yeah. big, big influence. We have that poll. You're sure. Apparently, they will be testing
3: replay at the SEC tournament. We have no idea what they will be replaying, how it will work. I have not seen any details. I haven't even seen an official press release. So this might just right. be me reporting on a rumor, but that is what is out there.
2: Well, I know they have not decided on a company to actually do it. Hmm. So that, I think that that's probably what they're waiting on to, to figure out exactly who's doing it, what they're, what they're offering replay would have made a difference on Sunday. Yes, it would have. There was a, uh, a double down the over could have been possibly a triple <laughs> over the first base bag that was originally called a double and then overturned for mayor Schroeder. That was a, that was a big play in the game. Uh, and then you also had an interference call with a pop-up on the infield with runners on second and third, that with two outs, Claire Jenkins runs into the uh, and gets tripped up by the runner moving from second to third, should have been called an interference call there, wasn't called, and Texas A&M scores and then scores the tying run on the next play. Uh so Alabama could have been out of that 6th inning still ahead 3 to 1. Now, you still have to get him out in the 7th. I'm not saying Alabama would win the game for sure. Right. But that that, that was that's a huge play. So, replay would have helped in that situation and it wouldn't have taken a long time as as long as you have the procedure uh, set up It wouldn't take a long time because like you mentioned during the broadcast we'd seen two replays on tv in 30 seconds right so it, it can I mean, we
3: weren't we actually yeah. didn't have anything in front of us we got confirmation from people watching tv before a decision was even made on the field about mayor schroeder's double
2: right so i mean it's again the, the main issue issue i've always had with replay is that you don't want it to slow down the game right that's one of the things that makes softball such a popular TV sport, makes it such a great sport to watch, is it, it moves. There, there's, there's not a whole lot of lag time like you sometimes have with baseball. And I, I, I don't want a situation like you have with at the end of basketball games and college basketball where everything has to go to the monitor and, and just you know, grind games to a halt. We don't want that. We want momentum to continue, but we want things to be right. The way
3: that I want to see it done is, and I think I mentioned this on the broadcast, I want... Somebody in the booth, a fourth umpire, somebody official, however, to have access, I want a signal from the field. I want the umpire to be able to make a decision quick. Give him 30 seconds. If there is nothing obvious in 30 seconds, the call remains the same. We don't need to be looking at every single different angle. You can see four different angles in 30 seconds. That's good enough. A signal down. That's it. Yeah. No people on the field coming over to a monitor, putting on the headphones, you know, speaking as well, because they're not actually most of the time looking at the replay. They're just having a conversation with the replay official. We can cut that out.
2: Yeah. Now you'll want to have, depending on what the play is, though, you need to have some sort of communication, I think, you know, because there may be a situation where you got to know where to put each runner. If there's multiple runners on base, you got to know.
3: Well, then in that case, just have a signal,
2: you know. Yeah. I mean, you could do it signal wise, but.
3: Have I, a signal, not necessarily have I, a signal to, you know, as what to do, but have a signal say, hey, go to the mic. That, but, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. But like for the double or or the foul, all you do is, I mean, it's yeah. very simple. Yeah. You do it. Thumb you do up, up, thumb down. Yeah.
2: And you just, you could have a change the call. Call stays the same. and That's all you need. Yeah. So I'm intrigued to see how this works. And I to see if it's going to be a challenge system, if it's going to be a, you know, umpires ask for it, how it's, how it's going to work. And of course
3: the distinct possibility that it is not even used because anytime anything is tested, typically it doesn't even come to fruition and there's not anything controversial until there's one moment, probably in the championship game where there's a super controversial play right. and it is scrutinized forever.
2: So I think for uh, another sport, I think we've used replay at the sec soccer tournament for either two or three seasons. They've never gone to it once. Of course not. Not enough. And I think it's just a goal line technology mm-hmm. uh, replay. They haven't used it once in three years, but there's somebody down there that gets a free trip to orange beach, gets to hang out with us <laughs> <laughs> just to, uh, to have that replay. Cause there's going to be that one time. And it's probably is going to be in the championship game when it happens.
3: Yeah. That's my worst fear that we're going to have all the stuff happening in the regular season. You know, LSU, Florida two weekends ago, mm-hmm. what happened in Alabama A&M this past weekend. And we're going to test it. And nothing will happen that directly impacts a game, or there isn't a call that's controversial or worthy of replay, and nothing will move forward.
2: Or right, I got an idea: the All right. uh, the uh, the Umps can just get it right to start off with. <laughs> give 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 them all glasses give that a shot see what happens (laughs) that would be good as well
3: (laughs) so the rumor is that the sec tournament will be testing replay very excited to see what happens there hey we've put it in play as always i think we hit it right up the middle we'd love to see bailey Hempel do that occasionally although we don't mind the long ball either but we've put it in play and now we're going to advance to first and catch up around the sec alabama and auburn tied for first in the conference just just as everyone predicted we're we're thinking the same thing (laughs) because uh it's exactly what we thought Mm -hmm. just kidding and kentucky a surprising sweep at home we'll talk about that on the other side here on the out of the box podcast episode four to the out of the box podcast we've put it in play and now we are advancing to first and as we always do we will spend this time discussing the southeastern conference the updated sec standings as it goes now as south carolina and ole miss are playing their third game of the series auburn and alabama tied up at first tom both five and one
2: this is not what we thought was going to happen. <laughs>
3: what I know this. <laughs> I mean, you did pick the field right. against Florida.
2: I did, and I'm and I'm sticking with that. And I thought Alabama was going to be better than the eighth spot where people were kind of putting them. But I did not see Auburn, especially with some of the losses they had in the pre-conference, uh, being five and one in the conference at this point.
3: Yeah, and then LSU at seven and two, Kentucky at six and three. Well, we're about to talk about the Wildcats, Tennessee at four and two, Ole Miss three and two as it stands right now as we're recording. Missouri. They're in five. a weather
2: delay right now, too. Yeah. So we'll so see if that game even gets completed.
3: We hope it does because we both picked Ole Miss to win that series. <laughs> <laughs> Arkansas at four and five. Florida two and four. South Carolina two and six. Are who's playing Ole Miss right now? A and M two and seven. Georgia one and five. Mississippi State one and five. Before we dive into last weekend's series, Tom, the biggest shocker here has to be Georgia. Florida. Florida two and four. Georgia one and five. That was one and two in the preseason poll.
2: Right, I think there was a little bit of uh, which happens sometimes in those preseason polls. Is let's just take a look at what happened at the end of last year and and, and put it right there. I I foresaw some issues for Georgia, but I saw them as being having issues in the circle, which they've they've started to have now. But it's been more lack of offense, yeah, which is very surprising for the Bulldogs. And Florida, I think the issue is they just they've overused Kelly Barnhill, and uh, I think she's a little bit she's a little bit fatigued especially having been on the national team in the off season. So she didn't get much of a break. Then uh, she has no number two behind her other, you know, Lugo is given some innings, but overall uh, Tim Walton does not trust her. So the, I think she's, she's become very hittable. And the offense after you get past the first two batters is pedestrian.
3: Yeah. I have to say, you know, I, I get wanting to give Kelly Barnhill some innings, but she got the start against Minnesota in the midweek, got the shutout win, pitched really great. Mm-hmm. And then he started her, Tim Walton did, in the first game against Mercer, a two-game series on the weekend. That is a series, Tom, that there is no reason she should pitch. You have enough Zero. pitchers yeah. to win that series, and you should have enough offense. I don't understand why yeah. she started one of those games.
2: Especially, you know, we're to the point in the season, you know, we've talked about about the freshmen, but everybody, if you can get some rest, get some rest. Mm-hmm and especially this is your off week in the conference. You're not playing a a juggernaut. You're playing Mercer, you know, rest, rest them, (laughs) let let them have, you know, get them off their feet for a little while. But yeah, I'm I'm very surprised that we saw Kelly Barnhill pitch against the bears.
3: And we're going to talk more about who Florida is playing this weekend. in just a bit, let's talk about last weekend. All I have written is what the what, because Missouri swept Kentucky Mm -hmm. in Lexington.
2: What the what shocking, I thought Missouri was going to win a win a game because I thought there was going to be a game where you would just you'd have a you'd have a slugfest and I think mm-hmm. Missouri can win those, but um, to be able to sweep a really hot Kentucky team at the time coming in just just a huge win for Larissa Anderson and the Tigers.
3: Autumn Humes, you know, we referenced her last week. We were marveling at the what was it point four zero ERA in conference play, one earned run in two conference series, mm-hmm. twelve in her two starts against Missouri. Uh, they picked something up in uh
2: in film study, I think.
3: And you know Larissa Anderson's making them watch film. Yep. Wow. So. It, yeah, twenty nine runs for the Tigers. It it doesn't make sense. But now And to be able to do
2: that after he lost to Bradley in the midweek. Yes. And it wasn't close. No. <laughs> the Bradley Rays blew him out <laughs> in the midweek and then they go on the road to Lexington and get that three game series. What a what a win for Missouri.
3: So I do have to ask because know, Missouri, there, there's still a lot of minutiae going on with the NCAA and whether they'll be eligible, this, all that, whatever. But is this a team that if the cards were to fall and they were able to play and everything worked out, could they actually be a threat in a regional somewhere? Because I think they have too many losses to host. Yeah. But could they be a threat in a regional and could they be a threat in the SEC tournament if it came to that?
2: I wouldn't want them to be the number two in my regional. I mean, mm-hmm. like I said, they, uh, they're, they have the offense. We even saw that in, in the game, even though Alabama got the sweep against the Tigers in Tuscaloosa, we saw a really good offensive team in Missouri, just whether or not they have enough pitching. I don't know if they'd have enough pitching to win a regional, but that they would they would scare whoever that number one is.
3: Definitely. I totally agree. And I think Jazz Rollin in particular has been spectacular. I just that offense, for whatever reason. There's something scary about them. And if they can get the pitching right, if Maddie Norman can get herself together, I think also Cassie Gasper really needs to step up. If they do, Look out for Missouri. We are going to talk to Jenny Dalton-Hill in just a bit about a series that she was in and calling this past weekend. That was Tennessee and Arkansas. Vols took two of three against the Razorbacks, and overall the offense pretty good for Tennessee. Even without Allie, Shipman still put up some runs, had the one game where they struck out 15 times against Mary Half, which right. happens,
2: the, but The ballad of Mary good. Half, you know, yeah, the, the, the up-and-down uh, year so far for her. But, yeah, I've, I was impressed with what Tennessee was able to do without Shipman. I think when we saw the injury and saw that that she was she was out for the year that thought, well, maybe this great start for Tennessee, they might kind of start stumbling a little bit now. And we'll see what happens as they move forward. But uh, they they look as though they they, they've got it figured out at this point. Absolutely. And you mentioned
3: Mary half my girl, Mm. my girl. How about the (laughs) new new money? New money. Jekyll and Hyde Saturday, seven innings, complete game win, seven hits, zero runs, zero walks, 15 strikeouts Sunday, four and a third, four hits, five runs, three earned, no walks, five strikeouts. I think she's getting back there, but yeah. clearly not quite there just yet.
2: But still every, every game is different. And the more you see pitchers, the more adjustments you're going to be able to make offensively. We talked to coach Murphy in the pregame interview on Sunday before the Tennessee game. So or before the Texas AM and uh, m game number three, and he said, and one of the things about how hard it is to get a sweep is that it's hard to get somebody three days in a row at the plate. Mm-hmm. It's, hard, it's hard to make somebody go 0 for just one for three games uh, at this level. And I, I think that, you know, we've talked about with Bell, Kelly Barnhill as well, kind of the second or third time you see her, she becomes more and more hittable. You're seeing that with Mary Half.
3: So, where do these teams stand in your eyes, Tom? You know, we've talked about Tennessee. I think that the glow about the Vols has kind of faded. Yeah. And I think Arkansas has shown flashes that maybe they could steal some series. They're, uh, they're out of it to win the conference, I think. Yeah. But where do these two teams stand in your eyes?
2: I still feel good with my prediction for Tennessee. I think, it's you know, if things continue as they are, I think it's going to come down to Alabama and Tennessee, who unfortunately don't play each other in mm-hmm. the regular season for the, for the regular season conference title. I think Arkansas is going to be one of those spoiler teams that if they were to surprise somebody and get a couple series which they have the talent to do they can uh but yeah, like you said i think they're they're out of it as far as as winning the conference now i i think it's still at 22 and 9 with the schedule they have played and will play Uh, if they were to go on a run here and and win three or four conference series down the road that they're still in a position where i think they can move up to a host position for for a regional and I, i think tennessee is looking at you know super regionals
3: yeah i think so too i'm curious to see what happens with Auburn? You know, all, Auburn and Alabama tied up at the top. Auburn took two of three against Mississippi State, who we will see this weekend in Tuscaloosa. Right. And they are now missing Michaela Martin. I have not seen a timetable. I don't know how long she's out. I have heard two to three weeks. Mm-hmm. But that's two to three weeks without your ace. Yeah. So I'm curious about the long-term effect of that.
2: I think that as, as you move forward, I think it's going to hurt them more and more depending on how long she's out. And even in, you know, how quickly she's back to somewhat close to hundred percent once she comes back. Uh, and she wasn't just dominating before then. So coming up on their schedule, they got Georgia, then they're at Tennessee and then South Carolina. Um, it's, I think it's, it's going to be tough for them to beat Tennessee in Tennessee, obviously. I think Um, it'll be
3: tough to get a win at all without your ACE against that offense.
2: Now, Georgia is going to be coming out with their, you know, the back against the wall mentality this week. Uh, So I wouldn't be shocked to see Georgia, even though it's at Auburn, go in and win that series because I I just don't, I still don't think that Auburn has the talent level to be a top contender in the conference all the way through. They've had a really good start. I'm not sure. I'm not shocked that they beat Mississippi state this weekend, but um, I I don't see them being more than the middle of the pack.
3: Yeah, I agree with that. I think that a, I was kind of surprised that Mississippi state did not put up more of a fight in game three, did not expect Auburn to run rule.
2: Right. In that game. Well, especially after you go to extra innings in the, the day before. Right. But they may have been, you know, depleted at that point.
3: Well, again, you know, we talked about it. They don't really have that great pitcher right. to rely on. So Auburn is five and one. I, I do want to talk about LSU because you say you think it's going to be down to Tennessee and Alabama. I think that there is a strong chance. Yeah. That we will be in Baton Rouge for Alabama LSU with the winner of that series winning the SEC.
2: Yeah. Now. I, I did want to point out, I think LSU is going to be involved in that, yeah. in that too. And and the fact that LSU plays Alabama, does LSU play Tennessee? No. Oh, see, there you go. So there you go. Yeah. So it's, it, it really could. The fact that Tennessee misses both Alabama and LSU could be the, could be the biggest factor in them having, having the inside track to winning the conference. Right. No, I, uh, unfortunately but that's the way the, the schedule fell
3: that's the way the cookie crumbles yes yes unfortunately but lsu had a great weekend sweeping georgia boy the georgia pitching 24 runs given up in the series and the offense not helping at all they scored 12 runs okay lsu's pitchers are good that's fine mm-hmm. seven of those runs came in the first innings of all the games five across the other 18 that is not good enough no. for an offense with Let's just say the names to Carlo Brian O'Neal, you know, all these great batters and they can't score and I don't get it, Tom.
2: Right. And we said at the beginning of the, of the year and I, I still, they should be winning games 10 to seven, you know, that they should, they, they should, should be winning games period. Right. And I just, I don't know what's going on with Georgia. Some of that this weekend was LSU. LSU is in kind of the same boat that Alabama is where if they'd had this offense last year, Alabama and LSU, if, if they'd have these offenses, they'd have played for the national championship. <laughs> it's because with the pitching that they had, and now they're seeing that their offense is up to the same level as their pitching. That's that's one of the reasons why it's, it's going to come down. I agree. It's going to come down to the, between those three teams in the conference, and Florida will still have something to say about
3: it. But we did say, or at least I said, that I thought this LSU-Georgia series would be a litmus test for Georgia about whether they're a true contender or whether it's going to be a rough one. Mm-hmm. And they but, failed.
2: Yeah, big time.
3: And they failed. And now we're going to pick the Auburn series later on, but you you think Georgia's gonna come out aggressive. I'm not sure what to expect because I don't trust their pitching staff. And no. right now I never thought I'd say this, but I do not trust the Georgia offense.
2: Right, which is which is crazy. And that I think you're you're still seeing that. We we talked, I think it was two podcasts ago, about in the SEC if there's the top level and then if there was a big gap. Yeah. I think there's still kind of a, a mushy middle of teams that should be better than they are mm-hmm. or are kind of playing above their head right now. Will they stay there, or are they going to come back down and, uh, regress to the mean?
3: We'll see how yeah. that goes. And we'll pick that series coming up, Georgia and Auburn. And finally, Ole Miss and South Carolina, they split the first two games, game three in a weather delay. As we are recording, Ole Miss was winning. For the record, so if Mm -hmm. it is called, Tom and I hypothetically got our 2-1 picks right.
2: (laughs) Yes. Sweet. We'll take it. Happy to get one.
3: Yes. Uh, This series, honestly, Tom, haven't paid much attention to it. I think Ole Miss is the team in the grass right now. I think that they are one that could help decide who wins the SEC in terms of maybe stealing a game from Florida this weekend or grabbing a game against this team or that team. South Carolina, I think, is a non-factor now, and I... You know, I hate to say that, but they're in danger of being a number two seed somewhere if they don't start winning more games.
2: Yeah, just a, a team that was not able to live up to the lofty expectations that were put on them in pre-conference. Whether that had an effect on them or if they were just just overrated and the, and they just are playing as as their as their uh, their talent really shows them to be, we'll see uh, as we continue to move forward. There's still a lot of softball to be played, but they've definitely. Definitely struggled out of the gates.
3: I do want to shout out Ole Miss pitcher Molly Jacobson. Now she was in the circle against South Carolina. It was you know they hadn't allowed a run yet, so I assume everything remains the same. But as of today, top ERA in the conference with a one point oh four, just ahead of Montana Fouts.
2: Wow, is that just in conference games? Overall, or overall, okay. overall. I didn't realize Montana had gotten over over the one. Yeah the uh, the walk off did not. No, did yeah I, I that's think right, that because that went yeah because her, yeah, her. Her. her run yeah.
3: Yeah, she's a, a transfer in to Ole Miss this year. Has been very impressive. The portal, yeah, the portal helping yes. out, helping out <laughs> our, our dear friend Coach Smith over in Oxford. What, what the portal giveth, the portal taketh <laughs> away. So uh, that's a name to watch as uh, as we go forward. And Ole Miss overall, you know, we we said that we don't believe they're going to win the conference. Maybe they will because they are really being well represented in the RPI. We're going to take a look at the second RPI that came out.
2: Well, we remember what happened with Ole Miss. With Kalen Lee, her 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 big you know coming out game in Knoxville uh, the weekend of the SEC tournament, they didn't win the the regular season, but Ole Miss winning the tournament and kind of really being real hot going into postseason play, I, I could see something like that happening.
3: But I don't think that year Ole Miss was as respected RPI wise as they are this year.
2: Right? No, they they weren't.
3: Yeah, they're but, fourteen right now, which is beyond impressive.
2: They played a really tough non conference schedule, which is definitely going to help them. In the RPI, and that's what's hurting teams like Alabama.
3: You know, played UCLA, played Minnesota, got a couple games against Texas. Mm-hmm. Didn't win a lot of those. Didn't right. beat Minnesota, but RPI doesn't care if you win at this point. It's just if you right. played these
4: games.
2: Now, now some of these will kind of work themselves out as as you move more into conference play. Those losses are going to count, even you know, just just playing somebody's not good enough at some point.
3: Yeah, and uh, we'll see. Hopefully, tonight's game against South Carolina will get figured out. But LSU top. SEC team in the RPI at number five. So an SEC team finally breaks in. Mm -hmm. Florida, number eight. Tennessee, number nine. Alabama checking in at number 11. Not moving a spot. Uh, We'll go over why in just a minute. Kentucky dropping from seven to 12 this week. Ole Miss at 14. Auburn at 17. Arkansas at 27. South Carolina down one spot to 31. Mississippi State up five to 28. Missouri up seven to 33. Georgia at 42. Which uh, is shocking, and A and M up to forty four. But you can already see, Tom, as you said last week, things are starting to sort themselves out as the mid majors ranked ahead of those lower SEC teams. They're playing conference games and losing, right. and uh, the SEC teams are getting games in league and moving up.
2: See, you know the RPI is it's a formula, so the formula is not complete until games are actually played. So you know we're looking at an incomplete ranking. By when they first come out last week, until the until the entire season is over, it's still incomplete. So um, as as you get into conference play, you are going to see some more SEC teams move up. You are going to see some of these other teams move down. Uh, I know we we're talking about the the Alabama opponents that are ranked in the not in the conference. Arizona, and Minnesota, both being ranked ahead of Alabama in the RPI, despite the fact Alabama beat them. Kind of kind of just shows you, okay, these the the RPI is a tool, but it's not you know be all end all. Yeah,
3: and it will. You know, resolve itself because Alabama has right. to go to Florida, mm-hmm. number eight in the RPI, and I think and to at, LSU, yes, and I think at least Alabama will win one of those games in each series. I would be shocked if Alabama were swept, mm-hmm. and to be quite honest, I'd be surprised if Alabama did not win one, if not both, of those series.
2: Win the series overall, yeah, yeah, and then it depends on how the you know the the field turns out in the conference tournament. You know, you still could get a game against Tennessee. You should you could still get you know a game against Auburn, something like that. That'll that'll only help your RPI too.
3: I do have to ask, you know, Texas AM at forty-four, Missouri up to thirty-three, but Georgia at forty two. Mm-hmm. Should they be worried? I mean, think about it. I if, would be. if conference play does not go better, could we talk about a Georgia team, even with a
2: pretty good record, a Georgia team that's in danger? That they're not too far removed from a couple years ago not making the SEC tournament, still making the NCAA tournament. Yeah, the thing is they were might have even been a three seed. Uh, as an athlete. they were they were a yeah. very low. They two got or into a high the Florida three. State Regional, yeah, in Tallahassee. So, yeah, you know, that's it. They, they they definitely need to win some games here, or, or they and are going to be in trouble. And depending on how the the appeal goes for Missouri, Missouri may be taking that spot from them. Yeah, you know that that's one less at-large spot that might be available. And you know, it's interesting with Missouri because you know you are thinking, you know, if they if they get the appeal, you know, they appeal and it's not heard or it's not ruled on before the NCAA tournament, then they're going to be able to be eligible. But then that means next year they might be ineligible. Right. So I was thinking, you know, you take a look at the beginning of the year. You thought, well, Missouri don't, don't appeal it. Just, just take it this year. You're going to, you're going to struggle this year anyway, just take it. And then you'll be free and clear moving forward. But now Missouri is like, I'm, we're, we're <laughs> we want yeah. this. Yeah. We, we have it. We, you know, we're, we're, we're not an easy out. So, you know, they, they may have, made the right call to go ahead and make the appeal. And I hope they win it. That would be really funny, wouldn't it? <laughs>
3: if they just went out and won the SEC tournament this year, like, yeah. yeah.
2: No, I hope they win their appeal. I'd hope I hope don't <laughs> hope they win the, NCAA, the SEC tournament.
3: Uh, well, uh, Alabama at 11, we said we'd explain why. And big reason why, Tom, not much help from the opponents. Right. You know, a lot of teams dropped this week. Maryland dropped 14 spots. Southern Miss dropped a remarkable 30, what do we say, Ooh. 34, 37 spots?
2: Yeah, the, they went from 86 to 117. Jeez.
3: How does this happen?
2: Yeah. I know it's a formula, but like, right.
3: Lord, Tom, how?
2: I'd <laughs> <laughs> say that they played somebody that was even lower than them and must have lost some. It's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a crazy, crazy situation that you're sitting here and looking at, and you, you want these teams to be in the top 75. That's one of the big... Cut off lines uh, as far as the RPI, and yeah, Maryland right now sitting at seventy seven, uh, Troy at fifty three, Cal State Fullerton at fifty nine. I think they'll actually move up some because uh, they're in a good softball conference, so that's going to help them. Uh, but some of these teams that are normally pretty highly ranked in the RPI for the mid majors are, are not helping Alabama, South Alabama at ninety five, Southern Miss at one seventeen, Hawaii, yeah, Hawaii one thirty nine, UAB one twenty three, uh, New Mexico team that you know is. Given some really good teams a run, but they haven't been able to get very many wins, and they're at one thirty 130, one thirty six. Uh, SIUE is usually pretty good, but they're at one forty this year. So and some of those some of those teams that we were hoping would kind of help us out are not doing so right now. USF South Florida at thirty eight, they need to keep winning.
3: Yeah, I would argue though. At something I said last week: we're not in a Minnesota situation. No, no, no. Gotcha. If uh, if the season goes the way I think it will, and Alabama's one, two, or three in the SEC. Certainly, if they win the conference, no one is keeping Alabama from hosting supers. And if they come in the top four in the SEC, they are hosting super regionals. Right. That is how it works. I and mean, it just is. And the RPI
2: is going to be better at that point. Anyway, right. You know, it, you can't you can say, well, if, if the season ends today, well, it's not going to end today. You've got a lot more to play. And if Alabama is in the position we think they're going to be in, if they're contending for the title, their RPI is going to just continue to move up. So I, I, don't think it, I don't think that's anything you need to worry about right now at all. At yeah.
3: All. So that is the look around the SEC as we advance to first talk about the conference. But wait, Tom, we've got the sign. Yes. We've got the green light.
2: Let's go. I, I feel as though I have the Claire Jenkins flashing yellow. <laughs> yellow light.
3: <laughs> so does that make me Alyssa Brown and Skyler Wallace or am yes. I am I'm, I red
2: light? <laughs> no, no, you're you're green. You're green all the way. <laughs> okay. And and Claire's still got a lot of stolen bases, even though she is the flashing yellow so we've got the green light and the flashing yellow the yield sign if
3: you will (laughs) (laughs) and it's time for us to steal second and we're going to do it with our dear friends from in the circle eric lopez about to join us it is the out of the box in the circle crossover event this is it people that's coming up when we steal second here on episode four of out of the box The podcast. We are stealing second here on Out of the Box, and we are doing so in a very special way. It is the Out of the Box in the circle crossover event forget new girl in brooklyn 99 forget all of the epic you know the chicago series on nbc and simpsons
2: family guy yes
3: that forget yeah. all of those crossovers this is the one you want it's the out of the box in the circle crossover featuring our buddy eric lopez from in the circle the podcast for fast pitch news eric how are you
1: hey, i'm doing great i'm glad to be a part of history here i know this is the a monumental moment here, I feel like, in softball podcast history. So, yeah, we'll make the
2: best of it. <laughs> It'll go down in the annals, that's for sure.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, the children will be reading about it in books for years. Well, we're, uh, we're excited to have you with us. And with so much going on in softball, we wanted to take this episode to really talk about what's going on outside of the SEC because Tom and I are following Alabama every weekend. We're seeing the Southeastern Conference, but there are obviously multiple other leagues playing softball right now. And a lot of them are being ranked in the RPI, and we've seen some interesting rankings the last couple of weeks. Texas being high was a bit uh, surprising to me and Tom last week. And now RPI week two came out this morning. What surprised you about the rankings this week?
1: Yeah, you know, I think what surprises me about the RPI, I was surprised. Obviously, Alabama a little lower than I would have thought. I thought they would have been in the single digits. Uh, Texas is a little higher than I would have liked, uh, but they have played a good schedule. I mean, the RPI is so tricky because. It depends on who you play. Is it on neutral field, road game? There's a lot of different variations on that. The other surprising, you know, thing to me from that standpoint is the Pac twelve, which is usually a seven to eight bit lead, is gonna struggle to get, you know, six right now. I mean you look at the Pac twelve, I think UCLA to me is the number one team in the country. Washington's gonna be in Arizona, Arizona State, those are good. But then after that, you got some interesting surprises. Stanford's the surprise. With Jessica Allister in her second year at her alma mater, she's turning that program around. But you got Oregon State to me as a bubble team. Cal is not even in the picture, in my opinion, for the NCAA tournament. Oregon, we know the storylines there. This might be one of the, the year where the Pac-12 gets the fewest teams they've had in a very long time. That's what strikes me about the RPI.
2: And do you think with the Pac-12 being down, does that mean that there are some more kind of – usually middle of the road, but maybe having a better season power five type teams getting in, or do you think you'll see some more of the uh, quote unquote mid majors getting some at-large bids?
1: I think that's going to be one of the many storylines come selection Sunday night. When in may you look at a league like the big 10 right now, for example, they've got seven teams in the top 50 RPI. Imagine seven teams from the big 10 get into the field. I don't think we'll get to that number. as they teams speed each other up at conference, I think that'll kind of clean up, but, I think you could see more from the Big Ten, which is the number four-rated conference right now in college softball. You mentioned a mid-major. I mean, the Mountain West is having a great year. They could get two to three bids. Uh, the American might try to we'll get four bids, probably three bids uh, at a minimum, which is similar to what they had last year. So I think it does create opportunities for those leagues. But outside of that, I think it's a big opportunity for the Big Ten. And I think the interesting thing about the Big 12 is they might get four teams in But instead of Baylor, it might be Texas Tech, which is one of the other surprises in college softball. So um, I think that's kind of what we're looking at from a national standpoint is, will the Big Ten end up with the second most bids for a conference behind the SEC? I don't think anybody would have ever predicted that.
3: No, definitely not. And you look at some of them – And there are a couple surprising teams positioned to maybe host regionals, depending on how conference play goes. Texas Tech did not help themselves, obviously, getting swept by Oklahoma, but they're 16 in the RPI, Northwestern 15, Ole Miss at 14. If they play well, who knows? And I don't think anyone expected that coming into the preseason. So that could be another big storyline, all these surprising teams possibly getting to host regionals come tournament time.
1: No question about that. That's always going to be another plot line is who gets those last two, three spots in regional host, you know, there's a Texas tech yet to host for the first time. Sometimes the committee likes to give out a bit uh, to team, the host that hasn't hosted before to sprinkle it in. Or do you see, for example, Auburn joining Alabama this year? Whoa, and whoa, Auburn whoa, whoa. Off to a good start in the
3: league. Whoa, 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 I mean, whoa, whoa. This is an uh, Alabama uh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we mention Auburn. We do not say anything besides their name. We're not going to throw them out for regionals. <laughs> are, are you saying Auburn is Voldemort? Is that, is that what we're saying
2: at this point? He who that, who shall not be named. Basically. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you mentioned uh, Baylor not not being in the picture. What has happened to the Bears?
1: Well, they had some injuries. They lost their star pitcher, Radoni, right before the year, during an injury for the year. So they're very depleted at pitching right now. Uh, They don't have a dominant number one pitcher, and teams have taken advantage of that. You saw that, I think, where Oklahoma State, in one of their victories this weekend, scored 21 runs against them. Uh, So I think this is kind of a lost year for Glenn Moore. They just don't have the horses, and, you know, in college softball, if you get hurt in the pitching and you, you get depleted with injuries or transfers, as obviously that's been a storyline during prior to the season, as we've seen with Oregon, uh, you're not going to survive long-term. And I mean, that tells you about the parity in the game and the excitement. And I think Baylor is kind of in real trouble now because they lose two out of three to Oklahoma State. they still got to play Oklahoma. they still got to play Texas. And they're going to play Texas Tech, which is much improved. I don't know if Glenn Moore and Baylor will make the tournament this year.
3: See, out-of-the-box, in-the-circle crossover right now here on Episode 4 of Out-of-the-Box. You know, would you say that Baylor is the biggest disappointment this year? Or is there another team that maybe has surprised you in a negative way so far?
1: Oh, I mean, Baylor's definitely a dog disappointment. I'll be honest, I've been disappointed with Georgia. Uh, they, they have really not looked good at all. In fact, you want to talk about surprises in the RPI, Georgia is at a 42 RPI. I mean, that's a bubble number for the RPI. Now, you would think being in the SEC, that'll improve, but they got to win some games. I mean, they just got swept by LSU. Uh, they've got issues pitching. They lose two out of three to Missouri. Schedule, as you guys know as well as anybody, it's not going to get easier in the SEC. So I think that, to me, George is a team that was top ten. I saw them in the Women's College World Series. you got one of the best hitters in the country, and I listen to Carlo, but they have not uh, been clicking on similar. So they've kind of surprised me a little bit. Uh, in that regard. So I, I would say them, I think Michigan and their struggle, even though they played a tough schedule, uh, just it kind of feels weird to not see Michigan being a factor nationally as far as nationally ranked the team we're talking about hosting. Like we're not even talking Michigan as a possibility to host at this time. Mm. That's just surreal to me. And that's in a year where the Big Ten is strong, they might actually get uh, taken down for, for, for the first time in a while in the regular season. So I think those, are the surprises from a disappointing standpoint.
3: You know, I want to spin back to Georgia because Tom made the point last week when we were talking about people criticizing Alabama's schedule and still going undefeated. And talking about Georgia and how their schedule was terrible, and probably they should also have been undefeated when you look at the names on there. But for whatever reason, there's this disconnect. When the pitching is good, hitting isn't there, and the pitching hasn't been good very often. And when the pitching is bad, you know the hitting's doing fine but not quite doing enough. There seems to be a disconnect there. And I'm wondering how much of that is because there's no Courtney Emanuel maybe in the locker room but also just at the top of the lineup to set the table for all the big boppers right behind her.
1: I think that's a fair point, and I kind of agree with that. Not having that at the top of the order to set the table for your middle of the lineup, I definitely think that has been a big factor when they have lost some of these games, and they haven't gotten the consistent pitching, obviously. Uh, but you're right. With their schedule, the lo- some of the losses, losing at Elon, North Carolina, it's kind of head-scratching. That's why I kind of scoffed when people were saying, well, Alabama hasn't played a tough schedule. Well, they won every game. Um I beg the difference. I mean, it's not easy to win every game and Alabama's played great. Uh, I think they're one of the most improved teams in the country. And I'm not saying that just because I'm on this. I think they're legit. <laughs> I mean, I have them. I'll give you the scoop because I do a bracketology on fastpitchnews.com. I have Alabama right now as a top four national seat and that's even just starting the FCC. I think they're a team that, you know, depending how it plays out will be no worse. In a top-four team. I, they would be my pick right now to win the SEC if I had to pick one. I love the pitching staff, and I said the word staff, as you guys know. Yep. They're not dependent on one pitcher. They're dependent on multiple. I love Sarah Cornell. I followed her since Hostra. I think that was a great uh, addition. Obviously, you've got fouls, and I love the balance on offense. Stealing bases and finally hitting. So, uh, To me, you're right. I think Georgia's the opposite of Alabama in that I don't see the chemistry that they had last year. I just think they just don't have the intangibles. And it'll be interesting if they can turn it around, because if they don't, they could be a bubble team come Selection Sunday.
3: Yeah, and I think it's fascinating because they've got that series this weekend against Auburn, who is at the top of the SEC right now, and they've been kind of surprising, and they're dealing with the Michaela Martin injury. And Tom and I will predict that series later on in the show, but... I'm just fascinated to see who comes out on top there because it's really going to be a litmus test for both. We said that last weekend was a litmus test for Georgia, and they failed. Now they're really in danger, and they need to win definitely one game, probably two in that series against Auburn this weekend.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. I mean, the SEC is so unpredictable. If you would have told me last week that Missouri – would go into Kentucky and sweep them. I said you, would be crazy. But you know, Missouri with Larissa Anderson, what a job she's done, and that's a storyline in itself. You know, they've appealed for those the sanctions that they were hit, so they're appealing, so they would be eligible for the NCAA tournament as of now. We'll see what happens in the appeal process. But I'm stunned at how good Missouri has played so far in the SEC, and you guys got to see them up close. I think people kind of wrote them off based on the scores. Against Alabama, but I think we've learned that that was more of how good Alabama was than how not good is Missouri.
2: Yeah, we made the point during the broadcast that week that we thought Missouri would win some games. Now, none none of us thought that they were going to go into Kentucky and get a sweep. That's for sure. But uh, not not entirely shocked that at least with their with their offense that they're uh, not getting some victories. In the SEC, it's the out of the box in the circle crossover. Eric Lopez, fast pitch news, joining us here today as uh, we're uh, kind of going around what's going on nationwide in in college softball. And one of the things we did on our first out of the box podcast, uh, myself and Gray, we kind of did some gold mine landmine uh, predictions. And one of my predictions was kind of a just a a vague one in general. I was just gonna. I just said that I think this was going to be one of the more uh, exciting and unpredictable seasons in uh, college softball history, and I think we've seen that here started off. Uh, wh- what have you seen as far as that goes? Just unpredictability and just real excitement in all of college softball right now.
1: I think you're dead on. I think what stunned me is some of these results. I mean, we saw—I don't know if you saw—the Arizona State Utah game it was a wild game. I never thought I'd see a game where. <laughs> The team scores eight in the last inning, wins an 18-17 game. Uh, it's just kind of wild the ups and downs in the sport. Uh, I was in Clearwater for that big tournament and, you know, James Madison beats Tennessee. And then, you know, a week or two later, Tennessee goes into Florida and wins two out of three. I mean, it's just one of those type of years that's kind of exciting to see. Uh, and yet I feel like, you know, you look at Oklahoma, they're still Oklahoma. I think UCLA is still the best team in the country and Florida State's still very explosive offensively, but I would never have thought a Florida State would lose to Grand Canyon in a midweek. I mean, that's that tells you where this is now in the sport, where anybody can be beaten on a given day and a given night, and I think it speaks greatly about the sport, that I think there's so much parity in this sport that you can't take any games lightly anymore. This is not, in my opinion, no no disrespect to women's basketball, where I think in a lot of 90% of those games, you can pretty much figure it out before the opening tip, and those games are pretty wide margin. Now you're getting competitive games on a weekly basis. More exposure, I think, has helped that because more teams are on television, and uh, the product is, I think, is getting better and better by the by the year. You see, you mentioned
3: UCLA, and obviously Rachel Garcia is the big name there for the Bruins. You know, 346 at the plate, six homers, 29 runs driven in, and the ERA of 0.5, with just six earned runs allowed and 139 strikeouts. You know, Tom and I are trapped in roads, so we would love to see Montana Fouts and Bailey Hempill win everything. But is Rachel Garcia the runaway player of the year right now?
1: Yes, I actually made this prediction with my co-host, Victor Anderson. I said this on an episode right after the UCLA-Washington series that I declared her the player of the year. I could not. I watched that series, guys. I couldn't believe how one player just dominated that series, both from the pitching standpoint, like Rachel did, and from her bat. She was the difference in that series when UCLA swept Washington. I know she's got a great players, but she is just a phenomenal talent. I watched her last year at Oklahoma City. Uh, she's, uh, she's a special player. I think she's the best player in the sport. I think she's, the, the, she's right now my pick to win the whole thing as far as player of the year. I do think Fouts for, for is the freshman of the year nationally right now. If I had to vote, I, I've been blown away. And it was interesting because I talked to people that know Coach Murphy about a year ago, and her name kept popping up. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you never know. Yeah, everybody always pumps up their kids when they come into college. Oh, she's going to be great boy, is she really good. So I think she's the freshman of the year. But no, I think Garcia is the one way player of the year. She's stacked good. Uh, We've got a lot of great players, but I think if you told me if we started a draft today and I could take anybody in college softball, I would take Rachel Garcia.
3: Is there anybody else, I mean, who's really even close to where she is around the country?
1: Well, I'm going to tell you something. Amanda Sanchez has been phenomenal for LSU. She's turned that offense into a lethal offense for LSU. Uh, Shelby Sincere's been tremendous. You mentioned your girl Bailey Hemp; uh, she's tremendous. Uh, I would say those are the couple that kind of jumps out to me. But and yeah, you know, Barnhill's been good for Florida. But I know I think it's Garcia, and I think there is a bit of a a slight uh, gap there for now. Now could that things change? Absolutely. Uh, injuries happen. Uh, Struggles, slumps happen in this sport. But no, I, I would have Garcia. I mean, I think she's the face of softball for the next eight years. She's also on the U S national team. And last summer, she actually won a game, the winner's bracket game against Japan Mm. in the world championships with her bat, And that allowed the U S to get to that gold medal game and qualify for the summer Olympics. So I think we're going to see her in the summer Olympics in 2020. And I think when her UCLA career is done, she's going to be the face of softball for team USA.
2: Talking with Eric Lopez, you mentioned earlier that you uh, did a, uh, or either are doing or have already done a Bracketology, uh, I think that's that's awesome. I, that's just, I, I love to look at that type of stuff. Uh, let everybody know where, where they can find that, and if you want to, give us a, a little bit more other than uh, Alabama at number four, which I'd uh, love to hear as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, usually we'll be doing it uh, as we get, obviously, to April and then closer to May. We'll be doing it more frequently on the weekends, but yes, we do it on uh, uh, And You go there, you'll see my Bracketology. I feed who I have from every field uh, as far as the NCAA tournament, every conference, who's the teams that are in position to host, and then the teams that are in the mix to host, and also teams that it might be in, and teams that are looking outside right now. And so, I, yeah, I think I do that. Try to get a good idea what the committee does. I don't necessarily agree what the committee does, but I try to kind of picture what the committee will do so that people are not completely blindsided even though that's harder than uh, to imagine. <laughs> so it's all on fastpitchnews.com. You go in the circle, SB on Twitter. We'll talk about that, too, on our show on the podcast. I could tell you from an SEC standpoint, I have Alabama number four, as you mentioned. I currently have 12 teams in from the SEC. The one team I don't have in right now is Texas A&M. Mm. I have concerns about the Aggies. They haven't been competitive. I know they took a game from Alabama. That helps. But i got to see more from Texas A&M here later in the year. So they're one of my last four out. But I think the SEC is still in good shape. If A&M could turn it around to get all 13 teams in, and then when you're looking at hosts from the SEC, I think Alabama is a lock at the rate they're going. I think Tennessee is a lock if they continue to play how they're playing. I think uh, certainly Ole Miss, as you talked about, is a team that could be in the position to host. Kentucky is a very favorable spot from the committee because a lot of teams can bust there. So I think they're going to host, uh, Tennessee's going to host, and I think you know Auburn could play themselves into the mix, even Ole Miss. So it's going to be another typical year for the SEC, and it'll be fascinating when we get to the SEC tournament in College Station, wherever it stands.
2: Nationally, we've seen facilities and, and everybody just really step up, uh, as, as we've seen administrations uh, have bigger commitments to, uh, to softball. But are there still facilities and teams that would be in a position to host either regional or super regional, but their facilities just won't allow them at this point.
1: Yeah, I'm trying. to know, on Northwestern's one that's interesting to me because I, I I'm trying to look into them. Can they host? Because I know for you, you know, they play a lot of day games, light, and they you know what their situation is. So I think that's one that jumps out uh, that that I'm aware of. I think everybody else is capable of hosting. And when I'm talking about teams that are in the position to host, I mean we're talking the Stanford's. They can host. Uh, all the SEC schools can host; if they get themselves in that position. Texas Tech, I've talked to them; they can host if they have that opportunity to host. So, I, I think the great thing about the sport—it's not like it was ten years ago, as you mentioned—where you know, ten years ago, to, you know, Washington couldn't host, so they had to go on the road for the regionals and the super regionals have, with Danielle Laurie. Having, so having been can, there,
2: having been there last year, I'm not sure that they're really in a position to host any, <laughs> at this point either. But I, I understand what you're saying. <laughs>
1: Well, they figured it out. They did enough, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They just did enough. Um, but no, I mean, I mean, I think that's to me what they can you do enough to host. I think will be the key there, but, uh, I think most everybody could host. I certainly have questions about a Northwestern type or maybe even an Illinois. Minnesota has hosted a regional, so they can host. Um, and I think they're the favorites. If I had to pick one, if there's going to be a Big Ten team to host this year, I would pick Minnesota. But, uh, I, yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think everybody's in a position to host and, But that doesn't mean that the committee won't do something different. So that's the beauty of selection Sunday.
3: This is the the out-of-the-box, in-the-circle crossover event. Stealing second here with Eric Lopez from In the Circle. Eric, thank you so much for hopping on with us. This was a lot of fun. We're going to have to do it one more time or multiple times somewhere, either on your show or back here again.
1: Yep, we're going to get you guys on the show. We're actually, uh, me and Vic are playing, are thinking of playing, we'll give you this exclusive okay. of taking the show to Gainesville for that Alabama-Florida series in April. So oh. We hope to uh, oh, wow. maybe run into you guys, maybe get you on prior to that series, and uh, I'm just excited that we have an Alabama guys and UCF guys getting along, which is, you know, a lot of people think it <laughs> would be possible, I think
3: that's great. We're just being nice because <laughs> of what happened yesterday, but it's okay. Appreciate that.
2: Talk over, about, yeah, we're not gonna talk about basketball. It's been it's been a rough <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, I
3: know. <laughs> uh, Eric Lopez on with us. Eric, thank you again for hopping on. It was a pleasure to talk to you.
1: Uh, great to be on with you guys. Thanks for being on. You guys do a great job and I'm glad there's another softball podcast out there. I've enjoyed your shows. I've listened. Uh, when you got Murph on and you got you know Caleb Bro. I mean it's uh, you guys do a great job. So keep up the great work.
3: So we have stolen second with Eric Lopez, and now it is time to round third with JDH, Jenny Dalton Hill, jumping on with us after the break here on episode four of Out of the Box. to the podcast out of the box episode four we are rounding third with one of the greats in softball history she sent a lot of people rounding third in her time at arizona she's the ncaa record holder for career rbis at 328 which is a lot folks she is jenny (laughs) dalton hill from espn and the sec network jenny welcome to out of the box we're glad to talk to you how are you
0: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me
3: on. Well, we're thrilled to chat with you tonight. So much happening across the SEC and across the country. First, I wanted to talk about something that Tom and I have heard at, You know, yesterday. It was the first time we'd heard about it. I don't know how long it's been out there, but apparently there are thoughts of testing replay in college softball at the SEC tournament in May. So I'm curious about what your thoughts are for that and how you think replay should be used at the tournament when it's tested, what should be replayed, and all of that.
0: Well, I actually have an email into the SEC to see what those rules are going to be. The SEC tournament will have instant replay and there will be only certain situations that you can use it in. My biggest concern for instant replay is the fact that it'll slow the game down. There's a, there's a heartbeat to the game. And when you use instant replay, it puts a pause. It's like pushing pause and a big, long wait. And so I'm curious as to how instant replay will affect the heartbeat of the game and the speed of the game, because that's one of the things that draws our fans to our sport is the fact that the game is so quick. Um, I don't know that you you should be able to review anything. Um, We've seen review happening in baseball already. It it happens in volleyball as well, where they can throw in a challenge card. So I'm curious to what the rules are going to be with instant replay. I think you should be able to review fair and foul calls. Um, balls down the line, those tough ones that are right across the right across the bag, um, I think you should be able to review those flapper out of the box rules. It is so hard for an umpire behind the plate to pick up balls and strikes and then be able to also see feet. And so that's a call that is not very consistent, and I would love if that's really going to be the rule that we have moving forward, I would love for that to be a little bit more consistent. And so instant replay would be able to help us with that one. Um, and then I, I don't know if this one would even go into it, but I think that they need to look at that hit by pitch location. Sometimes you've got batters leaning in and then they're wearing a pitch to get that free pass. And I think instant replay would be able to help delineate if the ball was over the plane of the plate, or if that batter really truly leaned in over that plane and doesn't get to have that advantage. So there's a couple of things that I think, um, would benefit from instant replay, but it would definitely slow our game down. And I work with ESPN. We want to keep that game within a two-hour window. So the more delays we have, the harder it is to do that, and then we'll lose programming slots if we continue <laughs> to go above that two-hour window.
2: What about um, obstruction or interfe- interference calls? We had one in uh, on Sunday at Texas A&M where it was a pop-up on the infield and the shortstop and and a runner on base got tangled up and interference wasn't called, but that might be something else that uh, could be reviewable. And then we've had so many of the uh, catcher obstruction on plays at the plate. Uh, it, It is a judgment call, but that might be reviewable as well.
0: I would think that it could be. Um, They've also toyed around with having four umpires and that would give you more eyes on the field, which would help you out with those interference and obstruction calls because no one will be leaving their area of coverage. Um, Right now with a three umpire system, you've got a lot of movement. And sometimes in that movement, an umpire is not in position to see all of those, you know, touches by players. And so I think that either replay or a four umpire crew would really help us out. I don't know that you need both, but definitely we need to have some more eyes and some more help on the field to make sure that that contact, those contact calls get made.
2: Talking with Jane Dalton Hill. And I think we're kind of to the point where in the, in the part of the season where we're seeing some players, especially the freshmen kind of hitting a mental, mental and physical wall because you're to the point where uh, you've, played probably what you normally would have played in a high school season or travel ball season. And, uh, and now you're, you're playing against the best competition you've ever played against at a high level. And there's a lot more season left to go, uh, as a player, uh, do you remember having a, a wall as a freshman coming through, or do you think that that is a a real thing?
0: Well, you have to remember, I played 20 years ago, and so (laughs) our travel ball system was much different back then. Every game we played or every tournament we played was played to completion and played to a championship, and so we were used to seven-inning games. Mm. We were used to playing everything out. Now in the new tournament or friendly-style play that you see in travel ball, you have set innings, so a pitcher is going to pitch these two innings, the next pitcher is going to pitch the next two innings. And so it comes down to the conditioning of the athlete, first of all, in terms of their physical preparedness when they come into college. But more than that, it's a mental grind that they are not used to because they're not used to playing not only these kind of opponents that are so difficult, but also they're not able to play to those seven innings prior to getting to college repetitively and so the grind of this season not only is it a mental wear but physically it is a grind and you see that a lot in the circle when a pitcher comes in as a freshman and they don't have support um in other with other pitchers there as a staff they wear down and about this time of the year you start to see their balls maybe sitting a little bit flat because their legs are tired. They're fatigued. All the travel starts to catch up with them, and then they're trying to keep up with their studies and take tests when they get home and have 8 a.m. classes as soon as they get off the road at 2 a.m. and get back to their dorm. So there's a lot that goes into that freshman year. A lot of it's time management, but right now you're starting to see those freshmen, if they don't have support, um, especially for pitchers, if they don't have support in the circle from other players that have a little bit more experience, they're going to start to be hit a little bit more. But the pitching staff we've seen grow throughout the country, that's really helping out those freshmen to be able to eat up innings where they can stay a little bit more fresh and help them through those three-game series that we see each weekend.
3: Speaking of freshman pitchers, one who was one of the best last year was Mary Half at Arkansas. And this year, I was all on the Mary Half train. I said, oh, Arkansas is going to finish second in the SEC. They're bringing everybody back. Autumn Storms is going to get better. Mary Half will be just as good as she was last year. And she has struggled a bit in the circle. You saw her this past weekend against Tennessee, had the one really great performance on Saturday, uh, shut out with 15 strikeouts, then struggled a bit on Sunday. And I'm curious what you saw. I don't know how much of you saw, how much you saw of her from her freshman year, but what might be different with Mary Half this year in the circle for the Razorbacks? Well,
0: the problem is freshmen come in and they're unknown. And so there's not a lot of data on them. And we know that the SEC is one of those conferences that's pulling data on every pitcher and every hitter. So they're able to build a repertoire for what they need to prepare for when they approach them in the circle. As a freshman, you're the unknown. And as you come in, teams are trying to figure you out as they play you. So it's a benefit to you as a freshman in the circle because you're trying, you, you come in and nobody knows exactly how you're going to throw them. So much like we see freshman hitters that have done very well, hit a sophomore slump in the box because pitchers know how to throw to them. The same is true for pitchers in the circle. Now the data's there. It's all been collected and teams can prepare for the pitches that you throw before they see you. And so that sophomore slump that we see in the batter's box is kind of the same out of the circle for pitchers as well during that sophomore year. She, I would say Mary half, um, has been okay this year. She stumbled a little bit at Ole Miss in that series. She had a couple illegal pitches and mentally it just made her take a step back. And she did not look herself in that Ole Miss series came back the next weekend, looked a little bit better. And I would say she really turned a corner at Tennessee, able to come away with a career high 15 strikeouts in game two against Tennessee. Um, the errors behind her are not helping her. And I think that's true for every pitcher Arkansas right now, making a lot of errors defensively. And it messes you up in the circle because you've gotten your job done, but the defense is not closing the door. And so Mary half right now, I think she turned a corner at Tennessee, but the defense really needs to help her out and help her mentally just make those outs that she's giving up.
2: Tennessee did get two out of three from the Razorbacks last weekend, the the uh, series you were at and uh, Tennessee uh, really rolling at the beginning of the season, but they suffered a really tough loss. Allie Shipman out for the year was uh, making a run at, at freshman of the year uh, in the conference, if not the nation, what she was doing offensively. Uh, what is Tennessee doing to uh, kind of try to offset the loss of Allie Shipman? Well, and with
0: the loss of Allie Shipman, they transitioned a freshman shortstop who tried to take or who was trying to filled the shoes of Megan Gregg, the huge offensive production for Tennessee at shortstop the last four years. So with the loss of Megan Gregg, they had moved a shortstop in Gracie Osborne to the shortstop position with the loss of Allie Shipman, who at the time was hitting 328 and had three home runs on the season, a big one off of Barnhill in that series against Florida. With the loss of Shipman, they moved their shortstop back behind the plate and the newest change that they've made was moving Chelsea Segern over from third base over to shortstop, who had made 142 appearances at third base, now a junior, moving over in their midweek series against Liberty. Mm. They put Segern at short, and she looked amazing. She played the best softball shortstop I could have ever imagined her playing diving plays up the middle communicating calling people off on pop flies. she looked like a seasoned pro so for me I love that Chelsea Sagan was able to able to move over and take the spot of the freshman that they've now had to put back behind the plate but because of that move they've put in Kaylee Phillips who right now hasn't nine home runs and so for me I think it's great because they got two big bats in the lineup to try to take the place of the loss of Allie Shipman back behind the dish
3: you know in Tennessee one of those contenders in the SEC one that got a first place vote in the preseason poll that really surprised us with a great start was Kentucky starting 6-0 and in the SEC Autumn Humes was rolling along and then Missouri happened. So what do we make of the Wildcats? Because in the first two conference series, they gave up 12 runs in six games. And then they gave up 29 against Missouri in just three and got swept all shootouts. What do we make of this team, Jenny? Well,
0: you know, in March, going into that Missouri, Missouri series, UK's ERA was .92. In that game three, in that three-game series against Missouri, their pitching staff had an ERA of 8.27. I mean, it was a debacle. UK hit 312 as a team, was able to come away with 20 runs scored in that series and not a win. The problem became the circle. Not only were they not hitting their spots, but they were giving the ball up big. And I would say the the really big part of that series that maybe people are not looking at is the Larissa Anderson factor. Brand new coach at Missouri has come in and absolutely infused optimism and hope And a sense of fight that we have not seen in Missouri since all of their struggles happened a couple of years ago under Aaron Earlywine. So for me, it's the Larissa Anderson factor in that series, bringing in a Missouri team that believes in themselves, and then UK pitching just huge stumbles for them: twenty-two walks, hit six hit by pitches, those free passes, and then giving the ball up big. And Missouri taking advantage.
2: Talking with Jenny Dalton Hill here on Out of the Box. Uh, taking a look at something nationally, I think the SEC still is the the top uh, conference in America. We've seen kind of a, a down year for the Pac-12, but we've seen conferences like the Big Ten and the ACC kind of move up. Have you seen a closing of the gap with uh, some of these other conferences coming up on the Southeastern Conference?
0: Well, right now you've got three <clears throat> three teams in the Pac-12 in the top 10 of RPI, and you've got three teams in the SEC in the top 10 of the RPI, what some people may not recognize is now the Big 12 has two teams in the top 10 right now, Oklahoma and Texas. So I would say that the one of the biggest factors that has closed the gap between the conferences is the fact of the portal opening up. Because of that portal opening up, it's given players opportunities from big time programs in the SEC and the Pac-12 to transfer to other conferences and make and allow them to play right away, they have big time experience, pressure situation experience, and it's lending to those other teams very quickly and translating into an RPI that is giving them hope. I mean, right now, Texas last season was a non-conversation. We weren't even talking about Texas last year, and now we're saying wow, they may be able to beat Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship. I mean, the conversation has absolutely shifted, and a lot of it has to do with the portal that has opened up and allowed athletes to transfer.
3: A lot of the conversation, though, Jenny, still around UCLA, number three in the RPI, which I think is kind of ridiculous because, you know, factor in all the numbers, whatever you want. Tom and I are pretty convinced that UCLA is the most complete team in America. You've got Rachel Garcia hitting and pitching. They've got great pitching depth. Faramo has been fantastic this year. Aaliyah Jordan, Bubba Nichols, all just wonderful work at the plate again. Do you agree with us? Is UCLA the best team in America right now?
0: Well, because I'm on your podcast, am I supposed to agree with you?
3: It's up to you, but it is you encouraged. Don't
0: <laughs> um, I'm going to say UCLA has a very complete staff. Right now, if you look at the numbers, though, Oklahoma is the one that catches my eye. Hmm. Oklahoma is number one in ERA number two in batting average and fielding percentage, and number four in power numbers and home runs per game. So for me, in those four stats, Oklahoma looks to be very stacked and balanced, not only in power, but in pitching and average. UCLA in the same exact categories, sits five in batting average, three in ERA, 38 in home run production, and 20th in fielding percentage. So if you play the game with an analytic mind, I would say no. But when I watch them play, yeah, that's a team that I would be scared of. They've got great depth in the pitching circle with June, a junior, a sophomore, and a freshman, and they still have yet to play Arizona, ASU, Oregon, and Oregon state all ranked in the top 25 Oklahoma on the other side, um, has lost to UCLA already this season. They only have two losses on the season, one to Florida State, one to UCLA, but they only have Texas to play throughout the regular season. And so I think that UCLA will be the more tested team down the stretch of regular play, a regular season play. Oklahoma, however, right now, sitting with the numbers, it would make me say that they're a little bit more balanced. I do have
3: to ask, Jenny, because you mentioned Oklahoma. Does it feel to you, because it feels to me like nobody's talking about them. I don't want to say that a Patty Gasso team is flying under the radar, but everybody's talking about Alabama because they were undefeated, Florida because of Kelly Barnhill, Rachel Garcia in UCLA, Washington's got the two great pitchers, and Oklahoma, I just don't hear them really being discussed a lot. Is that because people just know that they're good, or is it because people just are, are kind of forgetting about them this year?
0: Well, think about the teams that you just talked about, Washington, UCLA, sitting in the Pac-12, and they have the Pac-12 network. Then you have Alabama, Tennessee, Florida, teams that have the SEC network. Those programs all have TV exposure, and people are talking about them every weekend on TV. So they become the teams that are in the forefront because of the exposure that they have. Oklahoma is limited in the exposure that they have. So they do fly under the radar, but I think it's to their advantage because they can't be scouted as well. If you wanted to scout a UCLA, all you have to do is pull up all the games on TV and watch them. You get Not only do you get commentary, but you have multiple angles, multiple replays, and the ability to go forward and back and watch it as many times as you want. Oklahoma on the other hand will only be on TV a couple of times this year. And so they do fly under the radar and it's harder to scout them because all you have is word of mouth. You don't have the video coverage like you do with the other teams that are covered so well with TV exposure. You
2: mentioned uh, UCLA sweep of Washington and Seattle a couple weekends ago and uh, unfortunately covering Alabama saw way too much of Washington last year, uh, <laughs> but they're, they're, they're really good again, but uh UCLA going and, and getting the sweep there is, is Washington still a contender or do they have some issues?
0: I think it's really going to come down to how does Taryn Alvillo rebound from that outing? She had 11 strikeouts in that game last game in the run rule game, game three of the series, but she also gave up 15 hits. And four home runs runs were hit in that game, two by UCLA. Garcia is such a dominant player. She does well in the circle and is able to hit home runs. It's amazing to me to watch UCLA because they just take advantage. When they see a weakness, they put their foot on your throat and they don't let you back up. And that Mm -hmm. seems to be what they did to Washington this weekend. They found a weakness. Took advantage, exploited it, and came away with a three game sweep. To me, a very impressive showing by UCLA, but one that Washington can rebound from. There's plenty of time left in the season, and I'm sure we'll see both of those teams down the stretch.
3: Talking with Jenny Dalton here hill, excuse me, Jenny Dalton Hill here on the Out of the Box Podcast. And Jenny, before we let you go, we just talked about the Big Twelve briefly. I wanted to expand upon that a bit. Is Texas really a legitimate contender? Because I'm looking at their roster and their stats. You've got eight batters above 300, all of those with at least 16 RBIs this year. Sheelan O'Leary, I think that's how you pronounce it, a .45 ERA. And, of course, Miranda Ellis, who's been fantastic. Is this team for real, or is this maybe just winning a couple games in non-conference, but when they play Oklahoma, we'll see the legitimate contender in the Big 12?
0: I think Texas is one of those teams that will really give Oklahoma a run for their money. Uh, Their coach, coach white is seasoned. He knows how to win big ball games. He's gotten to the world series with when he was coaching at Oregon. So he knows how to prepare his players. Plus he also has some of those Oregon players who have played in big time situations with him. So the the bright lights and the big crowds are not going to face them. Texas, has been a good program in the past, but I think the addition of Coach White and those players that he was able to bring in during that transition time have really given a shot in the arm to Texas and given them a good chance to be able to give Oklahoma a run for their money in the Big 12.
3: Rounding third here with Jenny Dalton-Hill from ESPN and the SEC Network here on Out of the Box. Jenny, thank you so much for hopping on with us. Do you know when you're going to be back in Tuscaloosa?
0: There's no Tuscaloosa in my future as of right now, oh. but next year I'll be back.
3: <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll definitely see you when you get here, and hopefully have you back on very soon
0: perfect have a great
3: one absolutely that's jenny dalton hill rounding third with her and now it's time for us to head home predictions for the sec series coming up and plus a new segment tom's hungry we're going to talk about the restaurants we ate at in college station all that coming up here on episode four of out of the box Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. It has been an epic show so far. We started at the plate. Talked about Alabama, the trip to College Station, and where everything stands right now. We advanced to first and broke down the SEC and how the standings and the RPI currently appear. Then we stole second in the the out-of-the-box, in-the-circle crossover event featuring our good friend Eric Lopez. Talked about a ton of things. Had a great talk with Eric. And then we rounded third with the great JDH, Jenny Dalton-Hill. And now it's time for us to head home, Tom. Let's go. Let's do it. Uh, Let us review our picks from last week. Do we really have to? We do. Yeah. Uh, we Accountability. Picked, I don't like it. I know. We both picked one series correctly in terms of winner and number.
2: Okay, so that's all. That's all we're. You, you, we have to get both correct. correct. Okay, so it was hard. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. So yes. we're challenging ourselves.
3: I, I honestly can't remember which one I got right. I know it was not me <laughs> picking Kentucky to sweep Missouri. No. Uh, but we both did take Ole Miss to. Get 2-1 on South Carolina. They're in a rain delay as we are recording right now. Right. Ole Miss is
2: up. So it's possible we may get two. Yeah, possible. Okay, got it.
3: Anyway, it is time to pick this week. So let's go down the list. All right. This one is suddenly quite fascinating. Mm-hmm. Last week we talked about Kentucky's schedule and said, oh, going forward, this is about as manageable as it. No, shut up, Gray. You're wrong. <laughs> Kentucky at Arkansas this weekend looks absolutely thrilling on paper because i do not know which kentucky team will show up
2: yeah this is two jekyll and hyde type teams right now and because of that fact i'll go first on this one i'm going to say kentucky takes two out of three really yeah for no other reason than it's just been wacky whenever whenever these two teams have have played anybody this year it's gone a little bit opposite of what you think so i just think you know the pendulum swings over towards the wildcats
3: I'm thinking a lot here, Tom. I'm yeah. going to go. Don't overthink it. I know. I'm going to go Arkansas two out of three. Okay. Because I really liked the Mary half that I saw against Tennessee in game two. I think that will get her the Friday Sunday starting spot back mm-hmm. because Autumn Storms was not very That's sharp, true, right? Yeah. And I think if she pitches one uh, one game like that, you know, it'll be fine. And then if she can get the offense to help her just once they'll win the series and I don't trust Autumn Humes right now because after absolutely just mowing through the SEC to have a weekend like she had in Missouri that's gonna take some mental fortitude and I have to see it before I say all right she's fine okay so I take Arkansas two out of three how about this series honestly I'm most excited about this one (laughs) Florida at Ole
2: Miss yeah
3: in the preseason, if I had said Tom, I'm circling Florida Ole Miss, you would have
2: slapped me. Yeah, it's like, for what? <laughs> <laughs> for for real good tailgating, maybe that's that's what we're looking I for. I guess maybe Nomsford. not even
3: maybe not even that, but yeah. Florida at Ole Miss.
2: All right, are you going to go first this one? I am. We alternate back and forth.
3: I'm going to take Florida two out of three mm-hmm. because I think Ole Miss will struggle against Kelly Barnhill. Right. I think if Ole Miss is smart. They will, and again, you know, coaches don't do this, all that jazz. But if Ole Miss are smart, they would pitch Jacobson in game two against Lugo. Get the win there. That win would be huge for your RPI and hosting chances. I just think, I just, again, I don't trust any of the other pitchers for Florida besides Barnhill. But I also think Barnhill's going to be too good for the Ole Miss offense that is okay. Kylan Becker is fantastic. Everybody else is kind of okay. I'll take Florida
2: two out of three. I'm going to say Florida sweeps really yeah because i i I think florida is better than they've shown so far i think they're i I just think at some point some of the talent is going to win out we're going to see some of the batters other than uh lindeman and lorenz contribute and i I think they'll win a slugfest in game number two and then kelly barnhill shut down all miss twice
3: interesting okay how about this series georgia at auburn Georgia Mm. has been a I'm going to go ahead and just say they've been a disaster to start conference play one and five offense isn't working pitching has been tough Auburn does not have Michaela Martin they're five and one in conference but albeit against Mississippi State and Texas A&M two teams at the lower part of the standings right who do you take Tom?
2: I'm going to say, as I alluded to earlier in the podcast, I think Georgia's going to come out uh, fighting back against the wall, and I don't think Auburn is as good as their record indicates. I'm going to say Georgia wins two out of three.
3: I'm going to agree with you exactly. Two out of three. Okay. And I think it's because Auburn's pitching without Michaela Martin. If Auburn had Michaela Martin, I would say Auburn wins two out of three. Probably so. But I think Georgia's offense, even though they've struggled, is still too good to get shut down by Chardonnay Harris and whoever else, Auburn, (laughs) I don't even know who's on their staff.
2: Yeah, I agree.
3: So I'll take Georgia two out of three. Okay. All right. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, you know, again, and I just look at this slate, you want to really put a lot of the contenders to the test. This weekend is doing that. Yeah. This is a Saturday, Sunday, Monday series, Tennessee at Missouri. I think if Tennessee wants to win the league, they have to win this series because if they lose it, it gets a bit dicey. Mm -hmm. These are the series you have to win. I, I'm going first, right?
2: Uh, yes, you're going right. first. on this one.
3: I think Tennessee wins two out of three because I think Missouri's offense has shown me something. I think they're going to hit one of the Tennessee pitchers, whether it's Moss, Arnold, or Rogers. I'm not sure, but that offense is too darn good. But I also think the Missouri pitching isn't quite good enough to shut down the ball. So give me Tennessee two out of three.
2: I'm going to agree with you completely. Okay. For the same reason. Same reason? Yeah.
3: See, look at us.
2: Nothing to add on that one. (laughs) They don't call me the best analyst in the business for nothing.
3: But I will say, I would have been shocked a couple weeks ago. I will not be shocked at all if Missouri wins the series.
2: Right. And if you're Alabama, if you're LSU, you are rooting hard for the Tigers.
3: Absolutely. So, Larissa Anderson, come on, girl. Yeah, you got it. You got it. (laughs) Maddie Norman? (laughs) Come on. Shut out. All right, next up, South Carolina at LSU. This mm. one is not quite like that because LSU is at home and South Carolina, it just continues to struggle as things are going right now. And again, they're in a weather delay as we record, but South Carolina is two and six. So if they lose to Ole Miss two and seven, win three and six, still not great. Their pitching has been meh right. this year yep. and they're going to Baton Rouge. I'm taking LSU in a sweep. <sighs> just sweeps are just so hard. I, I agree Even at home. Sweeps are hard. I agree, but we've seen a, a decent yeah, number seen year. more
2: than, than you, you, you normally do. But I just, I think South Carolina is going to get one. I think LSU goes two two out of three. And, okay. and I think it's just because I think when you're relying, when LSU's not necessarily relying on their offense oh because they, they're, their pitching is not bad at all. Uh, but when, when you are winning slug there's going to be a game out of three in this conference where you're not going to have it as much. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, I think South Carolina is going to be able to, uh, to steal one uh, at some point on that series. Maybe, maybe it's the Sunday, you know, when else you're trying to get that sweep and, and you see it as the second pitcher for another pitcher for the second time, maybe South Carolina gets a little bit through them. So I'm going to go with the game Cox winning one.
3: All right. And finally Mississippi state at Alabama, I will preface it with this. I think this is a crucial series for the Crimson Tide in terms of national perception, in terms of SEC perception, in terms of just the mental fortitude. Mm-hmm. Alabama has to win this series, certainly, and I think almost, almost just needs to sweep to tell everybody what happened at A&M, blipping the radar. Yeah. I think that they need to come out strong. And I think that if they do come out strong, they will sweep Mississippi state. And I expect that to happen. I'm taking Alabama in a sweep over Mississippi state, because as I've said many times, if you can get down Mia Davidson, get down, follow Lua or give up a solo home run. Yeah. Mississippi state's pitching is not good enough to shut anybody out. I will be shocked if that ever happens in this series <laughs> mm-hmm. and I don't trust the rest of the offense. So I think Alabama sweeps Mississippi state to get back on track and, you know if there was anyone panicking after the loss calm down everything's right. fine
2: yeah i think that there's a lot of national type people that are just waiting to to jump on alabama if they were to lose a game to mississippi state say see we told you you know it's an easy schedule they're not as you know not as good as as the record indicates and i don't see that happening either i, th- I think alabama sweeps i think the fact that You know, you've gotten home, you get a couple days off, you kind of get rejuvenated, get past the mental and physical wall that we've uh, alluded to earlier in the podcast. And I just think Alabama at this point is that much better than Mississippi State that they, they should sweep.
3: And I also think it helps a lot of people are coming. I mean, this is going to be a good crowd yeah. this weekend. I think a lot of people are excited to watch what we have been talking about, what America's been talking about. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that there's something special going on. I don't think the loss deters that. Right. And you're going to see a packed Rhodes house all weekend long.
2: Yeah. I think it, if, say, AM had won the game on Sunday 7-2 to 2 or something like that, then 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 you might see, okay, there's some alarm bells going off. Some people might jump off the bandwagon. It was it was a tough game. Alabama lost four to three on a walk off. Had a three one lead in the sixth inning. You know it's it was way go, those type of games go sometimes, yep. especially on the road. So I, I don't think I don't think that's any indication on on the rest of the game or the rest of the streak or anything like that. So I I agree. I think Alabama comes out. I think they have a great crowd. You know, the weather's supposed to be nice, and I, I think Alabama takes care of business. And if Georgia does what I what I think they're going to do to Auburn, then Alabama will be first all by themselves.
3: So we will see
2: how we stand in
3: our predictions in next week's podcast. But for this week, it's time for a new segment. Oh,
2: I'm looking forward to this one. Yes, it's called Tom's Hungry. A shocking development. Yes, Yes.
3: are you hungry right now, partner? Yes,
2: it's way past dinner time. Yeah, I know. Me too. What are we doing?
3: (laughs) We're. I don't know why we're still here. Uh, Tom's hungry. It's time to talk about our favorite food. From our softball travels. Now, we will do this probably every other week after a right. road trip. Talk about the previous weekend. This first edition of Tom's Hungry, we get to mm. talk about the food that we have had all yes. year long.
2: Yes, very excited. And the re- one of the reasons why we're doing this segment here this week is because we don't have necessarily an off-the-wall segment like we've done the past past few episodes. Correct. Because I will give a lot of credit to especially the Alabama fans on social media. Very positive after the game on Sunday. So uh really no no complaints.
3: Yeah, that's actually uh that's a great point. Yes. Because if you look at the <laughs> Facebook posts, especially last year you lose a game like that, it's oh, what was us, yeah, you know, right. everything's over, yada yada. This year it was we got you ladies, you know, you did a great job. The streak is fine, pressure's off, let's go forward, yeah. let's st- win the next thirty three. Still won
2: the series, everything's fine. Yes, you're right. Which and, was uh, great. Great I, to see. I loved it. Yep.
3: So no off the wall this week. I'm sure it will be back. <laughs> but for now, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Tom's hungry. Yeah. Tom, take well, it away okay so we started off in troy nothing really to write home about in troy mama goldbergs yeah it's- mama cheese was good uh as usual tucson i was a little bit disappointed there wasn't really a whole lot that sticks out to me we had a really good italian uh, delivery on, on thursday but i can't really i don't know where that was from it was good lasagna yeah, it was fine my yeah. pizza was okay yeah but so nothing nothing really in those two to write home about but now let's go to honolulu Oh my yes. goodness! Hawaii was good. Uh, I think that if I had to give a number one, I'm going to give it to Dukes, which was a it was a beach beachfront dining connected. And it looked like it was like it was either a hotel or a. Uh, I think
3: it was a mall mall it was a part slash of that hotel. Yeah. It's like yeah,
2: but it was it was a great had a great beef tenderloin, uh, and they have a world famous salad bar. And the reason why it's got to be world famous, literally the best pineapple I've ever eaten. Like I could have had, I, as great as the beef tin Lauren was, I could have not had it and just had the pineapple because, and you know, Hawaii known for pineapples. So that's not, not really a big shock that they had really good fruit there, but it was, it was outstanding. When I was at Duke's, I got, I forgot what kind of fish it
3: was, but I got this beautiful fish with some pesto basil on it and this black rice that was just really, really great. And you know, overall it, it was just a great meal so i agree that would definitely be in my top 2 probably contending for number 1 with wherever we had dinner the first night yeah, i can remember uh, what it was chop called house. Yes, chop house chop house yeah
2: and uh, i had just all the rice <laughs> 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 and i can you know, like at this point i like i don't know if i can eat rice now <laughs> and then that was that was a couple weeks ago, uh, but man, it was, it was very good. Cannot can't can't rave more than what we have about the the trip out to Hawaii. Yeah, it was it was outstanding. Everything lived up to the hype. It was it was tremendous.
3: Whatever the chicken little chicken dish that I think it was either Blake Gray or Morgan Lashley, whatever they ordered. Yeah, it was that little chicken with sesame seeds and oh like yeah, yeah oh that was well, really oh yeah
2: that was. The, I'm that still was, thinking yeah, about. Blake it. had that. That was outstanding stuff. Uh, all right, so College Station. College stations, everything's a taco, which I'm not complaining. <laughs> it's just just pointing out a fact. And uh, I have no problem with it. Torchies, which is the, you know, Torchies and Fuego are the two world famous taco spots there in college station. And to nobody's surprise, we hit them both up. Uh, <laughs> the the Torchies <laughs> was really good. Had what they call the Republican. They also have a Democrat taco there. But I got the Republican and it w- that was a jalapeno sausage with cheddar cheese and their Torchies sauce on it. Really, really good, and then also had a uh, a chicken and waffle taco, and I was asked if the walk if the waffle itself was the taco no, they, they still put a tortilla there, but then you had the chicken and waffles and syrup and uh, bacon, and that was outstanding cheese yeah. uh,
3: <laughs> the queso at Torchies. love it yes, love the queso it. was
2: good too I will get it'm a- I'm not I'm not a big spicy guy, so it was <laughs> almost too hot for me. But I, I see that. But I, I could I, I I took it in moderation.
3: Okay. I, I have to give my shout out in this segment of Tom's Hungry to Good Bull Barbecue. Oh, I wish, Tom, that you had been there. This oh. is that uh, barbecue place I showed you the picture of. This it was me, Morgan Lashley, and Stephanie Van Brakel Prothrow.
2: Was this while I was asleep? Yes, it was. Okay. <laughs> you were asleep. We
3: go to Good Bull Barbecue. The, ma- the owner, uh, I, I wish I could remember his name. The owner came out, said hello. We told him we were with Alabama Softball. Mm-hmm. And he's telling us what to order. I got three Taco Bout Good Bowl items. <laughs> I got two Pig Macs. That would be pulled pork, white Whoa. queso mac and cheese, and Mama May's sauce. Oh, my gosh. On a taco. I also got Why one. Why didn't somebody wake me up? I know. I'm sorry. I got one boy, brisket, pulled pork, sausage, White queso mac and cheese, Mama May's sauce, mm-hmm. with Oreo, or excuse me, a cookies and cream pudding on the side, oh, ow. and Stephanie Van Brakel-Prothro, pitching coach for Alabama, mm-hmm. got the best potato salad. I don't even like potato salad. I ate it. I almost died. <laughs> it was so good. So, Good Bull Barbecue, if you are listening, and I'm going to tag you on Twitter. Yes. The, thank you wow and the owner also brought out something with fritos i don't even know what it was <laughs> just this bowl of something with fritos and beans and just meat and said oh it's on the house wow and we, and we ate it and it was so good nice. i couldn't take it so good bowl barbecue nice i will go back to college station for one reason and that mm. is goodwill barbecue and uh oh by the way we're back there in a couple months yes. for the sec
2: tournament cannot wait so we've <laughs> already got the uh the eating uh, menu down well, what we got to go to in addition to the, the Bush library, which I slept yeah. through, I had an opportunity to go to that.
3: Yeah. We'll get a good bowl for uh, every meal. Okay. So just mark your calendar and good bowl. We're coming. All right. So yeah. just get ready. We're bringing the whole team next time.
2: Sounds good. I'm in, <laughs> but one other thing for, I wanted to mention, cause I, I thought about it. Okay. So I made for the, uh, for the off the wall part of the podcast. Okay. So I made the obvious joke about UCF losing to Duke in the, in the basketball tournament. And claiming the national championship. Okay, of It is an obvious joke. It's not even probably that funny of a joke.
3: No, that is uh, that is that is comedic low-hanging fruit. It is 100%,
2: and I admit to that 100%, especially as an Alabama fan having won the actual national championship the year that they yes. there coming. And I think you actually
3: said I'm making the obvious
2: joke right. in the tweet.
3: Yes. <laughs> <I So laughs> I like did, really yes. hamming
2: right. it up. <laughs> but somehow Night Nation got riled up at me, mad online, at, at Tom Canterbury for making the obvious joke that literally hundreds of others made at the exact same thing. And okay, did do, does one have anything to do with the other? What happened in football happened? No, one hundred percent absolutely not. But your AD went clown shoes and claimed a national championship in a sport that they did not play in the national championship game. Mm-hmm. So that's gonna have ramifications for the entire athletic department.
3: Yeah, can I just say my biggest issue with that has always been how much money did they spend on the parade, on the rings, on the coaching bonuses, as if they want all that right. that could have gone into any other athletic facility. Did it they get
2: softball, soccer, right. anything else? Did they get one extra recruit because of that? Now yeah. they might have gotten it, they might have gotten it because they had did so well in, you know, and more power to him. I, again, I was rooting for him against Duke. I was rooting for him against uh, Auburn in, in the sugar bowl. I was very excited that they won that game. Where I you? Know, though. <laughs> I know that'll shock you. I didn't want Auburn to win a football game, but after all that, just say we did, we did as, as good as we could. We wish we'd have been able to play for a national championship. Didn't work out for us, but we are very proud of our team. Don't say you won the national championship when you didn't play for the national championship. Amen. I'm sorry. So, we did have an off the wall segment, but it had nothing to do with Alabama.
3: This seems like a great time for us to say <laughs> our social media names. So, if, Tom, if, where can people find you on Twitter if they want to tell you right. that you're wrong about you? <laughs> if, if,
2: if, if you're part of Night Nation, that is very <laughs> upset at me. And I'm sorry, once again, at T Canterbury RTR, that's C A N T E R B uh, U R Y R T R on Twitter. And then, uh, you know, again, I'm as unbiased as a biased man can be
3: don't you dare lie you
2: said i'm sorry no you're not not really
3: (laughs) you can find me at gray underscore robertson on twitter or check out the show's twitter account at out of the box underscore pod i can say that our good friends at good bull barbecue will be getting a tweet from all three accounts, certainly at the SEC tournament, mine and the
2: show's, very, very soon. Yeah, I'm, I'm very sad I missed that. Yes,
3: and now I've hyped you up,
2: right? Now, yeah. I, yeah, I'm ready to go right now as yes. a matter of fact. Yeah, we're going to uh, get the Alabama Jet out to take <laughs> us. It may be busy right now. They're searching for a basketball
3: coach. Oh, no, Greg Byrne has nothing oh, else no. to do. <laughs> oh, right no, you're now. right. Nothing <laughs> else happens. Thank you to our guests today, the out-of-the-box in-the-circle crossover event that was so much fun. Thank you to Eric Lopez for stopping by for that. And then our good buddy, Jenny Dalton-Hill, who we're at ESPN, the SEC Network. Hopefully we will see her later on down the road as the season goes on. And uh, yeah, that's episode four. It was a lot of fun. We're glad you joined us. Episode five will be coming up next week after Alabama takes on Georgia Tech and Mississippi State. Again, for my partner, Tom Canterbury, I am Gray Robertson. We'll see you next time here on the Out of the Box Podcast.